Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us today on Tetelestai. Guilt and shame. Two things that people struggle with consistently. Two things that can be very devastating in the life of the child of God. Is there a cure for our guilt? Is there a cure for our shame? Is there a way that we can walk free from guilt and shame and not be enslaved with the shackles of these two thieves of joy? Well, there is. And that's what we're going to spend this week talking about. How can I deal with guilt and shame? Let's go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. John chapter 19. This is somewhat tied together a little bit with what we talked about last week on about the Day of Atonement. But uh, as I was praying this week and looking at some of these passages and heard something that just really stirred my thoughts in this direction about sin and shame. And in John 19, there's an interesting passage that has to do with the crucifixion of Jesus and what took place there down in verse 30 and 31, down all the way to verse 37. Let's just begin in verse 30. It says, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, said that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. And asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe for these things came to pass in order that the scripture would be fulfilled that not one bone of him shall be broken and again another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierced that interesting incident that took place at the cross where they did not break the legs of Jesus but the soldier took a spear, some think it was the sword from his side, and thrust it into the side of Jesus. You have to understand, these soldiers were professional torturers. Uh, they were maniacal men. They loved to inflict pain on individuals. This, uh, this was their job. This was their profession. Killing people in a painful way was what they did for a living. And so when they were going to the crosses, because, of course, on the cross, when a person was hanging on a cross, generally there was the obviously the, 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 the pole that was up 
up straight up and down, and then the cross beam that Jesus would have carried because the poles were generally already fixed in place. And the cross beam that weighed probably about 100 pounds was carried to the spot, then they nailed the hands to that and then hoisted them up onto that other beam. But in the middle of it, there was a small little peg that was there that they that a person could rest on because generally death by crucifixion was a result of suffocation because you couldn't breathe because eventually all the pressure that was being placed on your lungs you could not get air so you basically suffocated to death and the only way in order for you to get any air was to pull yourself up by the nails that were thrust through your wrist to get a get a gasp of air and then to try to rest back down on that little tiny post that was sticking out so you a little what they considered a small seat and it was it was a horrible horrible way to die but now when they came to these men, and it generally took quite a while. Sometimes people could, could hang on a cross for a day or longer. But when they came, they, because it was a Sabbath day, as we read here, John said they wanted, they wanted to go ahead and make it an expedient quick death. And so in order for these guys to go ahead and suffocate and die, they broke their knees. They took a big mallet and came through and just pounded their knees so that they could no longer lift themselves up. And of course, every time you lifted yourself up, there was excruciating agonizing pain that shot through your body because of the nerves in the wrists as well as in the tops of the ankles where the, the two feet were crossed over top of one another. One single spike was driven in the, the top of the ankle through to the wood. There are nerves there. And when those nerves, it's like shooting thousands of bolts of electricity through your body of pain every time you had to move on that. And so they came and they broke the legs of the soldiers. But of course they come to Jesus and he's already dead. And then the soldier probably just out of frustration, he wasn't, he didn't break his leg. And of course that was again, God's providential hand saying not a bone of his would be broken. He simply took out a spear and ran it through his side into his heart. And as a result, it said blood and water came out of his side. Now that's, a, there's a medical condition this results from extreme suffering, agonizing, and loss of blood where water builds up around the outside of the sac of the heart, the pericardium, and that when that spear thrust through into his heart, that water came out, blood came out, and water came out. And again, there is nothing insignificant in the word of God. The blood and the water are a sermon a loud and clear message tying the death of Jesus back to the tabernacle, back to Yom Kippur, back to the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah and Ezekiel because of the message that that blood and water was screaming when it poured out from the side of Jesus. Every one of those things I just mentioned dealt with two things in the individuals, guilt and shame. Shame and guilt are things that we struggle with all of our lives, even as believers, but especially shame. And when we start talking about shame and guilt, you would be surprised at the number of people who sit on a Sunday morning in an average congregation who are bound not so much always by guilt but by shame and how that shame keeps them in bondage.
Steve Brown said, quote, when I received the message that my father had died, an older pastor hugged me and said, use this. Whenever you talk to 10 people, seven of them will have a broken heart. Let me add to that. Whenever you talk to 10 people, 11 of them will struggle with fear, shame, and guilt. The 10 you're talking to and you. You can tell how important a subject is to God and us by looking at how often it is mentioned in the Bible. And if justification is true, and it is, if it was finished when Jesus said it was finished, and it was, if Christ's blood covers all our sins and we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and it does and we are, then why does God keep talking about sin? It is for the same reason a mother keeps telling a small crying child after a minor fall that he's fine. That child doesn't think he's fine. You really are, but you don't think you are. Fear, shame, and guilt are woven into our DNA. It is every one of us. And anybody who says differently is either living in denial or lying. Living in denial or lying. Well, we're going to continue talking about guilt and shame and how the cross and the work of Jesus has dealt with both of them once and for all. May the joy of our Lord be your strength. And Lord willing, we will be with you again tomorrow.